Welcome to Pottery Visited, episode 62. I'm Tori. And I'm Shay. Today we are covering chapter two of Goblet of Fire, The Scar. Or, as we like to call it, by the way, this is a Harry Potter book. I was very excited to get back to Harry uh, for this episode, but then I forgot that this chapter is just uh, the usual Harry Potter recap chapter. <laughs> so boring. It's That's what you missed on Glee. So my one thought is that I get that they did this in Chamber of Secrets and Prisoner of Azkaban because this is like a kid's book. And so it reminds the kids like, oh, if like these were coming out every year, like, oh, by the way, this is what happened at the last book and kind of reintroducing the characters and what happened in the previous books. But by this point, I feel like this is an established series. I like, guess the fourth book. Yeah. Things are pretty serious. It was very popular. So I don't get what's the point of having this really big recap of all of Harry's injuries and the shenanigans he's gotten into. Especially because most of the stuff that they're summarizing isn't core elements of like the storyline. Like they're not saying, oh, gee, I sure remember last year when I learned about Dementors, that's going to be important later. And Guy, that's going to be important later. And like, it's not that. It's just reminiscing on like the general context of Harry Potter. And at this point, Harry Potter was a cultural phenomenon. So like, even if you didn't read the first few books, you know Harry's a wizard without having to read the words, Harry has odd things in his room, like a broom and a cauldron. Like you, you know the basic context that Harry Potter is a wizard and it's weird that that's what they remind us of. I feel like the only thing that's relevant is serious. Yeah. I also think it's pretty cheesy how they do the Harry looking in the mirror so that <laughs> the author has an excuse to redescribe his appearance while keeping this chapter in Harry's perspective. But like, do you ever just look in the mirror and think, gosh, I sure have green eyes, glasses and messy hair. Like, I don't know. It's just very like not a natural way for a person to think about themselves and such a like tool of literature. I think it's also odd for this book because we already had the first, it wasn't even the first chapter. Usually this is the first chapter in the Harry Potter books, at least for the last two books. But we already had that, the Riddle House chapter, which was establishing kind of like the plot and everything. So you'd think they wouldn't really need to do this since they already opened the book with like something like that's not really related to Harry. To understand the first chapter, you need to already remember that Harry Potter is a boy wizard with a weird history with this Voldemort guy. Like those are the key things you need to know. They are basically just reminding us of that again. And it's like, we already were reminded of that last chapter in a really good chapter yeah. that gave us that necessary bit of a reminder without being obnoxious about it. And to go from that chapter, which is so interesting and like, bookends itself in such a nice sort of complete story way to this just like summarization is super like unappealing as a chapter. Like I finished this chapter and I was like, should I see if Tori wants to do this and the next chapter in one episode? Because like, it's so nothing, nothing happens. Because I feel like even the last two um, chapters, like the first chapters in Chamber of Secrets and Prisoner of Azkaban, there was still things happening in that chapter, but this really just is a recap. Like we don't even get to the Dursley part until the next chapter. I thought that was in this chapter for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, one thing I thought was uh, was funny that uh, when you were talking about him describing his appearance in the mirror and stuff, and he's 
thinking about his injuries, he says that like uh, Harry reflects that like, oh, injuries can be uh, like are unavoidable when you attend Hogwarts. And I'm like, really, should they be unavoidable? Like, it's a school. Yeah, that's just it shouldn't be like that. I don't know how many times I got physically injured at school attending university or high school or middle school like maybe grade school you scrape your knee oh i got hit in the head with a, in the face with a dodgeball broke my glasses and it like hit my my mouth and i had braces back then so it also like knocked like a bracket or something <laughs> oh no that is a lot of bad that's like the only injury i think i got out of my school career so so this chapter that summarizes the first three books also starts by summarizing the previous chapter of this book because sure And Harry's sitting there reminiscing about the dream he had of Voldemort in the chair in the old house with some old man. But he's reminiscing about that chapter. And it's interesting the perspective he had that dream from. Because he specifically describes, we're trying to remember what Voldemort looked like when he spun around in the chair. Meaning that Harry, as a horror crooks of Voldemort, is not seeing it through Voldemort's eyes, which is the most likely place for him to be in my mind. Exactly. And then he talks about seeing the snake curled up on the rug, which means he's also not seeing it from the snake's eyes, which could have been a thing because the snake is also a horror crooks. He's just seeing it from, like, fly-on-the-wall perspective, and I don't think that makes any sense. Like, to me, he should be seeing out of one of their eyes. I feel like that might be a plot hole, because I think later on in the series where he has, like, the dream, another kind of dream, he is seeing it through Voldemort's perspective. He does see it from the snake's perspective in the fifth book. When he attacks Arthur. So I feel like it was kind of like... Hadn't been thought through by the author yet. Yeah, yeah. Because I feel I feel like later on he has another dream with um, Voldemort and Wormtail. And he's through Voldemort's perspective. Which makes sense. But I feel like it wasn't thought out here. I kind of wonder if it was more like a, like a publishing thing. Where they, like, they're like, it's a kid's book so we need like establishing chapter... Because it really just is an establishing chapter. Nothing really happens. It's that. It's not It's not particularly well written. Nothing happens. It's not enjoyable. Because I think even looking back to Chamber of Secrets, like, we still get, like, kind of a plot point of Harry being, like, punished and being locked in his room yeah. for that important dinner. And in Prisoner of Azkaban, he gets all, like, the gifts from, like, his uh, friends and... Uh, yeah. He also finds out about yeah, Marge coming and stuff like that. Like, there, it's more plot stuff happening here. It's just, by the way. There's things that happen outside of Harry's room, and there's interactions with other characters. This chapter has no interaction with other characters. He does not leave his room. It's not even like he receives a letter from someone, which at least would incorporate the ideas or story of someone else into this. It's just sitting there thinking, la-da-da-da-da. And it's just not pleasant, especially because I absolutely loved the last chapter. It was so good. Like, I feel like it's easier to notice how bad something is when it comes right after something fantastic. The last chapter is okay, but I, like, just want to get back to Harry and, like, kind of just, like, Harry going to the Weasleys is what I'm really excited about. And I thought that kind of stirred in this chapter, but it doesn't. <laughs> to wait for another whole chapter. You were led astray. <laughs> but uh, one thing I kind of flagged was the Harry's talking to himself and he's like, he said there's a fortnight till he goes back to school, but I am sure this is like August. So he spends like at least a week or a week, two weeks with the Weasleys before he goes to school. But you found the answer. Yeah, I looked it up and a fortnight is specifically 14 days. So two weeks. So he could still have one more week to spend here with the Dursleys and then have a week with the Weasleys and still get back to school with that timeline. So fortnight featuring Post Malone brought to you by Taylor Swift. <laughs> 
So I learned something new. I didn't know that a fort. I always thought Fortnite was like the next day. Yeah, to me, fort. It's just because it's so close to four. You would think it's like four days from now, you know. But it's we are wrong and we are idiots, and that is the we are not Ravenclaws. No one invited us. One of the other things. I noticed that is quite British is just the phrasing like Harry's thinking about how the Dursleys mistreat him and blame him for things and he thinks <laughs> still apt to blame him have you ever in your life as a Canadian heard someone be like ah he's still apt to be late to hockey practice like no no one says it like that it's so refined Harry you're so British oh well when Harry's thinking about the dream and his scar hurting He's like, who like, who should I tell? And obviously he thinks of Ron and Hermione, his best friends. And him imagining what they, they would say is very in character and also very relatable, I think. Because as a kid, when you think about things that you, you want to tell your friends, you can kind of imagine, if you know them really well, you can kind of imagine what they're going to say. Yeah. And as an anxiety-having individual, you also often, at least I often, play out conversations before they happen in my head. So I'm emotionally prepared for the different outcomes and how I can respond to them. So like, I respect it as a choice. I think it's funny for Hermione. He's like, well, first she would suggest I write to Dumbledore. And while I wait for his reply, I should read about it in a book. And like that checks out. But I think maybe at this point, Hermione might have other people to suggest he write to. Like, I think Hermione might say like McGonagall or something. Because I feel like her and McGonagall, we don't hear about it. But we're up to a lot of things last book, like the time turner and stuff. So I feel like she might suggest McGonagall as like a step below intermediary option to going full throttle and asking Dumbledore the thought to be wisest wizard alive or whatever like maybe there'd be a step before that i think he's pretty spot on with ron though i think ron would be like i don't know probably fine i guess ask i'll ask my dad later and then ron would probably forget to ask his dad later because that's that's funny i also think ron would maybe take make a joke about the whole thing like maybe you should ask crookshanks he's clearly the only (laughs) one that's a good judge of character or anything going on around here like, ask the cat. He's the only one who knows things. I was wondering why, why don't you ask Madame Pumphrey, like, who's actually, like, a nurse? She is probably so pissed off at Harry Potter for breaking himself all the time. She has no time for his stupid questions. So I love the point that when Harry imagines, like, what Dumbledore's doing during the summer holidays, he imagines him on, like, a beach somewhere, like, putting suntan lotion on his nose. Great image. Yeah, he also imagines Sirius on the beach when he's like, oh, wow, he sent an exotic-looking bird. I wonder if he's on a beach. And I wonder if the author wrote this while on vacation, like on a beach vacation, or if it was a really <laughs> rainy day in England and they were imagining a beach vacation and just kept writing about it. Beach vacation? Beach vacation? Everyone's on a beach vacation. I thought it was interesting that Harry doesn't want to tell uh, Ron really, or to let the Weasleys know about his scar hurting. And he, he brings up like all the reasons of why he doesn't want them to know. He doesn't want like Mrs. Weasley to worry, but he also doesn't want Fred and George to think him as losing his nerve, which I thought was kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, that's totally something I could see them doing. He looks up to Fred and George. He doesn't care what Percy thinks. Percy's not even mentioned. Yeah. I mean, Percy's opinion is not valid or relevant to them. They don't see him as a as an influence on their lives, really. He's like, I don't want to worry Ron and his parents. And I also don't want Fred and George to think that I'm losing my nerve. Which is cute because it's such a sibling thing to be like, yeah, I don't want mom to be upset, but I also don't want my siblings to make fun of me. Like, it's such a indication of how much he is part of the family you know because Fred and George are presented to us even though pranking is something I have a lot of opinions about as likable and like good guys so the fact that Harry sees them as being likely to make fun of him for something 
we aren't supposed to interpret that as being done with malice. It's totally just a sibling relationship. Well, speaking of family, Harry's, you know, telling himself, like, I wish I just had, like, you know, a parent person that I could talk to about this and they wouldn't judge me. And then it's like, of course, it's Sirius. So Sirius was introduced at the end of Turns out he's not a crazy murderer. Who knew? He's Harry's godfather, and he's basically Harry's parental figure at this point. And it's interesting because um, Harry, when Harry writes the letter, he's he doesn't he's still not quite as vulnerable. I think he would be with a parent. He's still kind of he leaves out the dream, and he kind of like showers like really like irrelevant things like about like how serious is doing and like hope Buckbeak's okay and stuff like this and he's like oh by the way my scar hurt that hasn't happened in like a long time burying the lead <laughs> burying the lead so i feel it feels more like an older brother being like you're asking for advice but i still don't want you to think of me as like being a baby or less than like he still won't be vulnerable with serious like you would be with like a mom or dad being like oh mom and dad like i'm really worried about this he still kind of like doesn't want Sirius to perceive him as less than. So he's like, ah, I was just a bit concerned about this. What do you think? It's definitely very like of Harry's age to be like, this could be a very serious thing. And other times it's meant something very serious. But I don't want people to think I'm a person who overreacts or think I'm a chicken. So basically I'm going to like tell them real casual, like, oh, by the way, I was stabbed this afternoon. Um, but don't worry, we can finish the hockey game. Like that kind of vibe where he's trying to minimize his emotional reaction to something or its importance at all in the off chance that he'll be interpreted as uncool, basically. Yeah. And it's sort of very much to the same sort of like mental maturity level as him not wanting to express it to the Weasleys because he's going to a Quidditch tournament with them and he doesn't want it to like dampen his fun for them to be worried about him. He's like, oh, I don't want them to be worried about me about this thing that could be very serious and dangerous. It could interfere with sports. So... Very 14-year-old boy. I also just wonder if it has to do with the fact that Sirius is mental. Sirius is mental. <laughs> well, he's just not, like, emotionally and mentally, like, an adult, really. Yeah, absolutely. He was stunted by, by being in prison because he obviously didn't get to interact with people. So, because I feel like Harry was more vulnerable with Lupin in Prisoner of Azkaban, and Sirius is his actual godfather and the person that he's supposed to would be his closest parental figure. But I feel like he still treats Sirius not really as like his parental figure. It's more like his older brother. I think a little bit the Lupin versus Sirius is about their vibes. Like Sirius gives off this cool older cousin. I do have a motorcycle. Like Harry wants to sort of peacock and seem cool to Sirius. Like he wants to rely on Sirius, but he also wants Sirius to see him as a certain way because of how he sees Sirius. But Lupin doesn't present as cool. So you don't have to worry about Lupin thinking you're uncool because he's Lupin. He's not He's not a cool guy based on like the typical standards of that. And he's sort of warmer and softer. So like I could see myself as a 14 year old being worried to tell Sirius I'm afraid of a thing. Like I think this thing could be dangerous or scary because there's a chance he could be like, oh, well, you know what's really dangerous and scary? Azkaban. Or like, <laughs> well, it's probably fine. Or like, you fought Voldemort. Why are you worried about your scar hurting? Take an Advil, you know? But Lupin has sort of presented himself as sort of not coming from a place of like higher social standing. He feels more like even. So you kind of can go to him without fear of being looked down on or judged as uncool. And also he's warmer. Like, I feel like he's more likely to say, Harry, cursed scars, 
don't have a lot of history in books, but this is what I think maybe this and maybe this. And like, if you've only felt your heart, your scar hurt this many times and this many times of it, it was because Voldemort was nearby. It's a small sample size and it doesn't necessarily mean it's always going to be like that. Let's look to see if there are other instances of it hurting where he wasn't nearby that could correlate to some other cause. Maybe you're allergic to dairy. Like, I feel like Lupin gives off the vibe where you could be more open with him without fear of judgment. And Sirius is kind of cool and you don't want to look like a nerd. <laughs> well, I don't think there's a big difference between Sirius in this book compared to Sirius and Order of the Phoenix, where Sirius is like still like in like mission mode where he's like got to protect Harry, things are going on, where Order of the Phoenix is kind of like pushed back from everything. Yeah. And a bit more, like we get more of his like internal character and his personality where here he just bits and pieces he's very much singularly focused yeah and he's a little bit of a mystery still right like we don't see him moping around Grimald place like we don't get more of him so he's elusive and even to Harry he doesn't know him that well like he had some long conversations with Lupin and Lupin taught him things and explained things to him and sort of handheld him through the Dementor trauma and, and he hasn't really had that with Sirius yet so they don't have that deeper level of like comfort to expose their inner fears. Harry also tried to like kill Sirius. So there's still like that awkwardness being like, yeah, I tried to kill you. I kind of feel like Sirius probably thought that was cool. Like Sirius is probably like, look at this kid. He's 13, knows two spells and he thinks he can take me. I love the confidence, you know? You just know he's getting Harry a leather jacket and a helmet to ride on the back of that motorcycle. You know what I mean? (laughs) Iconic. But yeah, that's basically the whole chapter. Harry writes a letter to Sirius and then he's just kind of like, okay, time to go to breakfast. Yeah, literally it's just just a summary. Like, hey, this is Harry Potter. He's a wizard. He has wizard things. Harry mentions that he doesn't know what Dumbledore does during the holidays. So I was wondering, like, what do the professors do during the holidays? I have lots of ideas. I'm sure a lot of them, like, read books, travel, maybe some of them, like, do some lesson planning. Do we think that some of them live at Hogwarts year round or do they have like other places? Because I'm assuming during the school year, they live on the grounds. Yeah, we know Snape has a house, for example. So I feel like they probably all have homes off campus or they they just aren't there. Like they're traveling, they're in hotels, they're abroad. I feel like activity wise, probably a lot of reading, like collecting potion ingredients, meeting up with old school friends. Um, Flitwick duels. Maybe he goes to like dueling tournaments. I do wonder because we know uh, teachers in Canada at least are paid like nothing. So uh, a lot of teachers have second jobs during the summer when they're not working. So I wonder if any other teachers have like secondary jobs they do. Side hustles. Well, I'm sure some of them, you got to think like some, like if he's a dueling champion, he can go and win a tournament and make a bunch of money. But also I feel like if you're chosen to teach something at Hogwarts, you're singularly gifted in that area. So you probably can profit off of like writing an article for the Daily Profit on Transfiguration or even like selling some of your potions to people who need them. Like I'm sure there's other ways they make money because to me, Hogwarts is like a pretty elite respected institution so being a teacher there probably makes you elevated in the field and therefore your word your name on the side of a product minerva's cat food (laughs) you know highly recommended by minerva mcgonagall about about mcgonagall's like like a quidditch scout or something like she goes out to like all like these quidditch things and she's like two of the people like like a secret quidditch scout she has a pen name and she writes for the quibbler she's a quidditch (laughs) reviewer or a prospect reporter love it i think that another option is that like for mcgonagall 
I feel like her life is stressful. Maybe she turns into a cat for like weeks on end and just like hangs out in boxes and chases mice and like lives that non-human stress-free life because I feel like that would be very healthy if one could do it. Like the lovable stray cat that people feed and like pay attention to and she just gets to like vibe. Mm -hmm. I feel like Snape probably broods. Uh, He probably makes potions. He probably makes spells. I mean, we know he makes spells. I bet he does it. I can imagine Snape having like this big like map thing in, in like his basement trying to figure out what Dumbledore's planning. What is he up to? What else does Snape do? He probably does exploring dark magic, reading dark magic books. Me. Gross. It's a great one. You'd love it. Hagrid probably lives there year round. So he's probably like. Oh, yeah. I don't think Hagrid has it. But also because Hagrid's job isn't, especially early on, being a teacher, the students aren't the important part of his job. It's the grounds and the animals. And I feel like the animals don't take the holidays. Well, Hagrid also has nowhere else to go. He's lived there since he was like 13. Yeah. He he, he lives there full time and has to tend to gardens and stuff. I could see Trelawney living there full time, too. I feel like she just doesn't come out of her tower. That's fair. She just lives there full time. I was wondering though, what if like we don't really get any idea if like any of the teachers are married. So like, what would like go on if like they're they have spouses? Like, do the spouses live with them at Hogwarts or do they just go back and forth? I mean, you gotta think they could just flew powder to their like apartment at Hogwarts and stay with them. Yeah, I feel like. Being married is probably fine because you can like time travel and like see each other every second day or like go to each other's on the weekends. I feel it could be interesting if some of the profs had kids. That's interesting to me how that works. I mean, I guess it's fine if their kids are at Hogwarts, but if your kid is seven and not at Hogwarts, like... I have to imagine that like they probably just flew into like their office or whatever, but I feel like some professors probably have like night duties or whatever. Yeah, the heads of houses definitely do like supervisory. Yeah, so I feel like... Like, there's probably, like, a roster, kind of, like, with prefects, where, like, you have certain nights that are, like, your turn to, like, supervise. And so, I guess those nights, they probably stay at Hogwarts, but they'd go home most of the days, I would assume. I mean, the professors don't seem to have a very good work-life balance with Dumbledore in charge. So, I mean, who knows what would happen? That's probably very hard for all teachers, though. Work-life balance and being underpaid is the teacher struggle. A teacher teaching is, like, a vocation, like a calling. As we, we can kind of see this here. Yeah. I don't know how people can do it. It seems very, very hard, very, very stressful, and very, very underappreciated. It is interesting to imagine how many of them live there year round and how many like go home for the weekend and stuff. I feel like going home for the re- weekend is probably fairly normal if you're not on duty, like supervising the halls. But I'm yeah, it makes sense that some of them live there all the time because I'm sure they can't all afford houses. Like, well, yeah, it would suck to pay rent and you only go there like every week, every other weekend or something. Yeah, I don't know what renting's like in uh, the Wizarding World, but here it sucks. In 1997, <laughs> they honestly they probably paid rent in eels. <laughs> They're like six eels a month, and I get to have my house. But you feel like Hogwarts would be like a sweet like deal because you basically you're paid for teaching, but you get free like room and board and like they obviously don't have to really cook meals i'm assuming because they have the house else there yeah they don't really have to like clean or anything so like that's all done for them it's a pretty sweet deal i wonder if hogwarts the school does things during the summer when the students aren't there like not just like the ghosts hanging out but i wonder if they like open it up for like seminars for like people who've long since grad like an adult wizard seminar where a specialist on like i don't know cursed vaults comes in i could see them opening the library yeah the library in the great hall just to do seminars you know like this week bill weasley noted you know curse breaker of gringotts is going to come in and talk to you about 
some neat new curses he discovered while breaking curses or what, and then people show up and they take notes or whatever. Like, I feel like that's, that's what I think schools do in the off season, right? They like open themselves up. I don't know if Dumbledore would allow that. Dumbledore only likes him knowing everything. No learning at Hogwarts, unless it's because of me. What does Dumbledore do? Do you think Dumbledore has a nice house somewhere? I feel like his ego wouldn't allow him not to have a nice house somewhere. I think because he's an old wizard, he probably has like houses and stuff. But I feel like he just stays in his office and, you know, plans Harry's uh, torture for the year. He owns six houses, three estates, four by the beach. Probably goes down to, you know, uh, the hog's head and says hi to his brother. And his brother says, fuck you. <laughs> and then he leaves. Summer vacation. Family drama time. Woo. Yeah, but uh, I guess wrap up thoughts about the chapter. I just didn't like it. I didn't like it. It wasn't interesting. It wasn't good. We get it. Sometimes Harry's scar hurts. Um, we've read, it's just, it's not good. It's not necessary. I feel like because it's a children's book, they're like, no, this needs to be there. But I think if I were an editor, I would be like, don't need this. We don't need this. I like it underestimates like the intelligence, the ability of children. And I feel like because at this time, this is probably around the time of like the Harry Potter mania. And I feel like kids already knew what happened in Prisoner of Azkaban because they just read it. And even if you had to wait a year because you read it and this book wasn't out yet, you remember the basics and you can sort of read the last page. Generally, I think like, this was like a recap, but I don't even think it was a really good recap because it just it, it just felt really slow and it was no no dialogue, no things happening. It was just Harry thinking to himself in his room. Harry minimizing his own feelings and like prejudging himself in the perspective of others. The only interesting we get is the inclusion of that Sirius is going to be kind of like a side character. We met Sirius vaguely in Prisoner of Azkaban, but now he's, he's going to be involved. So we're going to get more Sirius, which is the only interesting thing. But um, I don't know that. It's just, it's just setting up towards the next chapter where like we need Harry to get out of Privet Drive and to the borough. I don't need a summary of what I just read. And I certainly don't need after the last chapter where they really like give you beautiful storytelling. Well, yes, I guess that, that's it for us. This will probably be a short episode, but come back next time as we cover chapter three of Goblet of Fire, The Invitation. So we're finally getting to the Weasleys soon. Finally. But yeah, if you like this episode, you can leave us comments or questions concerns yeah, you, you can reach us at pottery visited on social media or email at potterrevisitedpodcast at gmail.com and we'll be back next time bye, bye.